Hello, Hello. and welcome to Useful Idiots. Is the name of our show. Welcome to Useful Idiots is the name of our show. <laughs> it's it's come to that, has it? Accents? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> welcome to Useful Idiots is name of our show. We want to pump you up. Every time we do that, I want to say that. <laughs> I'm, I, when, whenever we say I'm Katie Halper and I'm and and I'm Matt Taibbi and we want to pump you up, people won't even. That's we're aging ourselves. Yeah, aging we're aging ourselves. ourselves. Like, yeah, wow, that's bad. When no. when both of us are aging ourselves, that's bad. That makes it sound like we have some weird symbi symbiotic or synergistic like uh, diary. What's it? What's it? Benjamin Button, Dorian Gray thing going on where we're actually. I think it's like dating ourselves but that also is not what that sounds weird too but aging ourselves makes it sound like i'm somehow aging you you're aging me yeah we have yeah there's some kind of metaphor in there somewhere yeah we, there, so there, there's many, a, many metaphors yeah we have a, a a promotional picture that's in a in an attic that's getting older uh, oh on our actually, behalf that's yeah. actually a perfect transition did you see oh, the photo it? i put it in our doc did you see the photo that a fan made of us no. Dan, if we could pull that up. So, okay. <laughs> so here's a, a, something that um, was made by one of our fans. My God, uh, that's if, such an amazing drawing. Right? If we could, could we zoom in on that a little bit so that people can really appreciate it? All right. So it says, uh, it has Matt with a hat on that says press. Well, what like kind it. of hat would you describe that as? That's a fedora. A fedora, right. And it says press in it. And then there's a, there's a drum kit behind him. Um, and then there's a quote bubble coming from his mouth that says, hold on, I didn't hear you. Let me finish muting this Twitter follower because Matt kind of famously now, uh, does that. Like he announces when he's muting people, <laughs> like that's a, and he even has rules. I, I think it's still your pin tweet, which I'm like, come on, put a pin tweet of like useful idiots or something, but it's his pin tweet is like rules for getting blocked by Matt Taibbi. Well, not blocked, muted. Muted. Oh, really? Is it yeah. muted? Okay. And then we have a nice useful idiots mug, which is also a good transition. Then what's the book on the left? Can you see that? It's uh, the Mueller report. The Mueller report. Wow. <laughs> That's great. And then um, underneath it, it just says Matt. I can't really see. I, I can't see what there. the notes say. I, I, I desperately want to know what they I say. I know. We got to turn them around. I can check on Instagram. Then there's a useful idiot's mug, which we'll get back to. And then if you could go over to me. Oh, and he also has his finger on the keyboard, which is great. And if you go over to me and zoom in, uh, he's got the hoops, right? I wear hoop earrings a lot. But... Uh, I'm wearing a neck. Okay, it's a bit superheroish, cleavagey. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I didn't want to say anything. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't want to be the one to say anything. No, I mean, it's 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 not really. I don't wear. I mean, I'm wearing a V-neck, and you can see, as everyone can see, there's not a cleavage situation. So I don't know if that's some augmented reality or something. But um, I think uh, you have a relationship with this person that's more I, advanced than than I than I know or that I yeah. want to let on. Um, <laughs> And then the quote bubble coming from me says, uh, I just don't understand how people don't get this. I'm not saying necrophilia isn't bad per se. I love is, of it. Of course, my signature line. But I'm also, here's how I know that it's, uh, I don't have that shirt. I even wrote in the comments, uh, I said, what shirt is that? I don't recognize it. Not in a gotcha way. I just don't have a shirt that has that kind of bordered neckline. And I never wear necklaces, ever. In fact, uh -huh. I mean, no, not never. I, I, I thought about it. I've worn a necklace once on the show and it was, hadn't, it was very busy. So I'm, I'm also not sure about that. So there's something going on. He has some kind of 
blind spot in my upper torso where I don't know about I don't know if blind is actually the the it's the like the opposite it's when you yeah. when you see more than is actually there <laughs> yeah yeah he has super sight yes yeah. he has super sight yeah so yeah. um but 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 it's it's great it's got and a then, little bit of an R crumb kind of a thing going on oh there. yeah it does yeah and yeah. Matt one hand of Matt's hand looks really big and one of the hands is is like tapping the a keyboard and the other hand is holding a phone yeah, that I'm right? muting. I'm I'm muting somebody. You're I'm muting. like muting somebody both and with both hands. Right, or or you may be writing an article about the Mueller report with one hand. That's the other possibility. Yeah, we got to dig into this thing. Yeah, I, we got to dig it's into a, it. It's an excellent. excellent it is right, drawing. and then um, and I've actually never done anything that creatively impressive. I would say. Do you do art? No, no. I mean, even like I wouldn't even include my writing in that you know category. Like that's impressive. Yeah, I, I, uh, and the, and the person who made that is Sam, T S O H O N I S. So thank you for that. Pretty good, right? Yeah, I, I mean, the person's an excellent artist with an active fantasy life. Yeah. Oh wait, <laughs> wait, Matt, I'm I'm turning it upside down and reading the notes. So it says, Matt, uh, get out, get out now while you still <laughs> have a chance. P S, have you tried more drugs? <laughs> wow this person knows a lot about me so we're waiting for you sam to come out with the color version of it we're really excited yeah we, we got to put katie in an x x-men costume yeah i think seriously yeah yeah all right so stuff happened this week i guess yeah I'm, you know i'm just exhausted yeah i don't care i mean i i know it's not quite thanksgiving yet and so we can't quite well, no, this is our Thanksgiving episode. It's our Thanksgiving episode. But you're episode. saying, right, we can't have an excuse for a trip to Fain. I just want to, like, fall over in a pile and not of think what? about anything for, like, a year. What's but, the pile made of? I don't know. Pillows, clothes, something like that. I, that's but... very, I like how safety first you are. <laughs> you maybe want to wear a helmet also. <laughs> I'll try to avoid falling directly on my teeth. But I just uh, find the news exhausting. I just can't. I can't watch or follow any of it without getting upset. And um, anyway, but we'll try to get through the show and say something intelligent about it. I, I guess. Um, Matt, we should cut this into a trailer for the show. This should be the opening credits of our show. <laughs> just, just. I want to the... fall over. We'll try to say something intelligent. I guess. <laughs> buy a mug. Buy a mug and buy rate and review. Mug. Buy a mug and rate and review. Okay, so let's. But we have uh, a great show. With we have Ryan. a great show. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, yeah. And it's, it's our Thanksgiving be... theme show. It's going to be really interesting. You'll see. Should we just get into it? Yeah, let's just let's just hop. Let's All just right. dive into it. Dive. Let's just fall over into a pile into into over it. it. Yeah. Into it. Yeah. So for Democrats suck. Um, I got to give a shout out to friend of the show, uh, Barack Obama, who's come out with his third memoir, because you know he didn't get everything out in the other ones. Dreams of my, from my father was the first one. The Audacity of Hope was the second one. And A Promised Land is the third one. Uh, by the, and uh, The Audacity of Hope, uh, colon, Thoughts on Reclaiming the American Dream. That was uh, 2006. Dreams from my father was 1995. And now in 2020, we got the prom A Promised Land. He's a good writer, I have to say. He's a great writer and he's a great speaker. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. No, he he, so. he is he is a great speaker. Well, he's not like an orator in the classic sense. Like he doesn't he doesn't uh, carry you to to emotional extremes. He's just very very convincing. 
Um, oh, and I, he, con- he yeah. conveys like his geniality and intelligence and command and all those things, but right, he's not like he's not like you know Jesse Jackson or um, who's another great sort of uh, like blasted out kind of a speaker. I don't know Neil Kinnock or somebody like that. Right. Um, Just you know. go to look at who who Joe Biden has plagiarized, and that'll give you a good sense of who good speakers are. Uh, that's of course a reference to him plagiarizing uh, Neil Kinnock. Yeah. So what so what do you got? Okay, so I wanted to read an excerpt from uh, from A Promised Land, which is already, by the way, a bestseller. And this, Matt, I think you'll really like this part. So he's talking about foreign policy, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, in places like Yemen and Afghanistan, the lives of millions of young men had been warped and stunted by desperation, ignorance, dreams of religious glory, the violence of their surroundings, or the schemes of older men. They were dangerous, these young men, often deliberately and casually cruel. Still, in the aggregate at least, I wanted somehow to save them and send them to school, give them a trade, drain them of the hate that had been filling their heads. And yet the world they were part of and the machinery I commanded more often had me killing them instead. He didn't really write that. Yeah, he did write that. But you know why he had to do that, Matt? Did he really? Yeah, he wrote that. If anyone can send us the audio of that, it would be great, and we'll we'll clip it in. Anyone who's bought the the ebook, come uh, on! How can you not laugh at that? Oh, I did. I mean, I already did that. And when I, but I, you have to understand, I've been more from. I I saw this earlier than you did, so I laughed before. That takes some stones to write that. I have to say, I I I, I'm 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 very uh, I'm I'm impressed. Anyway, go ahead. But who do you think? Guess of all people who he who who in Obama's circle was obsessed with his um like hit list with his execution list assassination list sorry assassination get who in his inner circle would you think would be obsessed with that uh i mean i wrote a story about this rom um, rom very good yeah he was quote unquote obsessed um and that's because he had spent enough time in washington to know that his new liberal president couldn't afford to look soft on terrorism uh but matt you're gonna feel a lot better ready because he goes i took no joy in any of this it didn't make me feel powerful i'd entered politics to help kids get a better education to help families get health care to help poor countries grow more food it was that kind of power that i measured myself against but the work was necessary and it was my responsibility to make sure the work the yeah he was doing the work he was holding the space for assassinations (laughs) that's so gross point blank i love it and it was my responsibility to make sure our operations were as effective as possible. Wow. He also, by the way, said that uh, he read Marx and Marcuse and um, Fanon and Gwendolyn Brooks to get basically to, to hook up with women. Oh, well. That's, yeah. I, I mean, okay. Looking back, it's embarrassing to recognize the degree to which my intellectual curiosity those first two years of college paralleled the interests of various women I was attempting to get to know. Yeah, I know, yeah. Marx and Marcuse, so I had something to say to the long-legged socialist who lived in my dorm. Fanon and Gwendolyn Brooks were the smooth-skinned sociology major who never gave me a second look. Foucault and Wolf for the ethereal bisexual who wore mostly black. As a strategy for picking up girls, my pseudo-intellectualism proved mostly worthless. I found myself in a series of affectionate but chaste friendships. This book is making me like him. Oh, you know this, you know, you're saying that reminds me of Hillary Clinton, how you like Hillary Clinton when she's just like insanely petty and vindictive about Bernie and you're like, I like her more. It's like punk, (laughs) it's like punk rock or something. 
Well, yeah, I mean, she's she's gone over into like performance art, but like, this is this is just funny. It's not, you know, like. By the way, uh, you know, I I read Marx and Marcuse to to pick up pick up chicks. That's, I mean. That's the most Beavis and Butthead thing any president has ever said, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, like intellectual cerebral Beavis and Butthead, which is, by the way, when you're we're talking about him as a speaker, I actually think that's one of his things is that he does strike a very good balance between emotional and um, I don't want to say it's like intellectual without being alienating. Um, right, right. So, I mean, unlike Biden, who is just like. Well, well Biden's just a Biden's just a, a ball of nerves and weird energy what i love about biden's speeches is that he he works his way through the text and then his like affect will go up and down at times that don't match what he's saying yeah which I, would, I think is really great he like gets angry all of a sudden he has he has these flourishes that don't really fit what he's talking about but that is awesome that brought that obama wrote that i gotta go out and, and buy that book immediately i know we should do we should read from it but i i, I my friend did some like super emotional uh uh instagram post where she posted a, a an image of the audiobook she was obviously listening to and she kind of um you know was quelling over obama and how much she loved him and i said oh my oh i texted her omg i hate obama i saw you love his book his part about killing people because rahm emanuel and she writes all presidents kill people which i gotta say kind of stop i was like yeah that's true that is true um, I guess what surprises me here is that he just admits that it was, it's like the listen liberal thesis where, well, a part of it, Thomas Frank quotes someone who says sometimes it takes a liberal to do some, and in that sense, they're referring to slashing funding. Like sometimes it takes a liberal to do that or NAFTA. And I guess with this too, it's. Except that assassination was sort of only periodically legal and. And even when Obama did it, it was of questionable legality. So right. So you're saying presidents don't always kill people illegally. They don't always assassinate. They don't always assassinate. Yeah. Not all presidents. Not all presidents. Hashtag, yeah. Uh, all right. For Republicans, like I don't really have anything. I just wanted to. Okay, can, uh, Dan, can we see Charlie Pierce's story here about the Pennsylvania? So here's Charlie Pierce uh, from Esquire, fellow Boston native, writing out, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge the best performance of the weekend, the Rolex player of the week in democracy, U.S. District Judge Matthew Brand of Pennsylvania. He takes home the hardware, uh, not simply because he ruled against the president's, you know, Charlie's been doing this for years, the, the uh, asterisk every time he mentions president. It's impressive how long he's kept it up. So the president asterisks a uh, ludicrous attempt to disqualify every ballot cast in that state, blah, blah, blah. And, and he he uh, lists the ruling against Trump uh, by this district judge. And I'll just read the first part of it. Uh, the, this court has been presented with strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations. Uh, unpled in the operative complaint and unsupported by evidence uh, in the United States of America. This cannot justify the disenfranchisement of a single voter, let alone all the voters of its sixth most, sixth most populous state or populated state. So all I want to say is I I can't keep track of all the legal challenges. Like yeah. it's, it's now exceeded my ability. It's like fractals or something. 
Like it's it's gone beyond my ability to follow. Are you able to? No. No. No, so, I think yeah. I mean, I, I, my thing is that it's just it's all a PR thing, right? At this point, like it's not actually legally. I don't think he's actually no. I mean, none, none of it uh, ever really made a ton of sense. And then I think basically what he's doing is you know he's got a lot of ardent followers and he's trying to show them that he's exhausting every avenue and then he wants to make the argument eventually that this is trump we're talking about by the way our president our our asterisk president our, yeah. yeah and uh it, it's it's just gone on at this for, for so long at this point that it's i mean it, it was funny that there were there was an element of humor to trump's absurdities when he was somehow winning <laughs> but but this this has gotten completely ridiculous at this point um now that he's losing well it's just i don't even know what he's trying to accomplish at this point i, I, I guess drama. he's setting of yeah drama but how much drama is is there even i mean the, most of the drama is being supplied by people who are uh, artificially injecting this with seriousness it won't have basically he's, he's going to be you know out of the white house one way or the other on right. january 21st and i i don't know i i just don't I don't know what he's up to at this point. Um, I mean, his his I think his fans like this, although it is funny how some of his some of his fans, I guess his less fanatic fans are like, OK, enough. Like I was talking to some neighbors up here where I've been since pandemic and they're they have a they have Trump signs on their house and they have Biden and Black Lives Matter. They're a, divi a house divided. Uh huh. But he was like, yeah, he got he has to go. He's got to step down, uh, even though he's a big fan of his. But uh, yeah, I think he's just setting himself, you know, he's this is what his his base likes and uh it's fun for him probably i mean i guess it's a weird the other look could be like you know what i wanted to leave anyway yeah i mean that's that would have been like the the little boy blue thing like to pick up his ball and go home like the right. day after like he should have just vacated the white house you know what i mean yeah you're like right. before dawn the the, the day yeah. after like left left nobody at their posts you know. All right. Well, well, that's what um. remember. He said that thing about how he was going to probably leave the country and we got it. We A fan has to make an image of him and Mike Pence in the Thelma and Louise car. Right. Uh, yeah. That, going over the great. over the cliff with the kerchiefs yeah. and everything. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So yeah. Sad. But I think um, he, he should have just left the, the White House. It would it would have been like the the ship in Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, like that just sort of arrives in port with nobody. Uh, nobody at the helm. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what it should have been the day after election day. Like they should have just packed up and gone to some, you know, Mar-a-Lago. Like, well, not even Mar-a-Lago. Some place that doesn't have extradition treaties with the United States. I bet that was Trump calling you, thanking you for the suggestion. By the way, Matt, on my own podcast live stream show, uh, I did this thing where I was trying to pitch Trump ways to own the libs before he steps down, and I think that there there's certain things that you and I would think are good. Um, mm -hmm. that he could maybe do to stick it to the libs. Um, so pardoning Assange, mm -hmm. Snowden, and friend of show, John Kiriakou, mm -hmm. pulling out of, of of wars, you know, because he does brag about ending endless wars. Yeah, I mean, if um, he withdrew from Afghanistan, that would... Um, but see, I... I I, I almost think that the Democrats wouldn't mind that because that, that would allow the uh, Trump to take the political hit for... Like, they can blame whatever happens next yeah no actually i think they would hate that yeah he should do that yeah he should do and, that, and, right? and it, w it would be the right thing to do sort of right of course the everything i'm i'm promoting is the right thing to do um, right and i really appreciate our honesty here because matt you almost 
you almost were being, you almost were like, obviously you want to withdraw the troops, but you didn't want to violate Trump's trust just now. So you <laughs> almost said, don't do that because the Dems will like it. But then, then you change your mind. So you're being very empirical. I just want to give, I want to compliment you on that. Well, thank, thank you, Katie. Yeah, yeah. no, I, uh, not, not even for the sake of a podcast would, would I, would I, would I do that? And, but no, yeah. What, what else could he do to own the libs? Yeah. I'm not sure. Clearly should fart a lot of before he leaves. Oh, definitely. Fartgate. He should yeah. fart and then play the Fartgate clip with Chris Matthews and Swalwell. Right. I mean, yeah, defaulting on the United States debt probably would be. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that would be another thing that he could do. Yeah. yeah. Health. What about a big stimulus? Uh, a big stimulus. By executive order. Canceling all federal uh, student debt. That would yeah, be pretty he should funny. Be, he should own Biden. Biden's like terrible milk toast. Basically, like I'll give each I'll give some people with debt like a quarter. Yeah, and we're going to get into that because I think this is not the show to do it. But yeah. already the Biden, the Matt, direction of the soon. Biden. He just, it, he, how could you do that? It's too soon, Matt. It's too it's soon. Just too, I, have you heard that argument? First, we weren't allowed to say anything critical because we were helping Trump. Right. Now we can't say anything critical because uh, he's let the guy get into the, come on, let him get into the office. It's like, do you realize that these things matter afterwards? Right. Like, yeah, he won. Why? This is if anything, this is exactly when we should do it. And in fact, we you know, last week we talked about that Jonathan Martin from The New York Times tweet where he right. went after like the Sunrise Movement for daring to to complain about one of his nominees. And this week we have, you know, Aaron Rupert from. Oh, uh, I know. I know. Yeah. The, you see that tweet? The, yeah. The thing about um, Blinken. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I couldn't believe it. He he actually tweeted because because who? what's he naming? Uh, future friend of show because we're going to have him on david dayan david dyan said read what blinken did in between the obama and biden administrations getting rich working for corporate clients at a pop-up strategic consultancy and aaron rupar tweets blinken participated in society the horror i know i mean come on this is like that's like straight out of the near attendant textbook right i mean yeah but this is what this is what we're going to get we're going to get facefuls of this just you know, week after week after week for the next four years. So we better get used to it, I guess. But we can wait until next week to start. Yeah, we'll about do that. Yeah. About. So I, you I, have I, one Biden. You have one week to improve and replace your people. We're giving yeah. you a grace period. And meanwhile, uh, President Trump asterisk uh, cancel student debt, get out of Afghanistan, uh, end the probably the drone program. The drone program. Yeah. You could you could end the whole distribution uh, matrix, the kill list. The kill list, right? Yeah, because um, that's a good fu to Rahm Emanuel and Obama too. And Obama, right? And Biden, of course, was his Veep, was his vice yeah. president. Um, Cut the budget completely for the CIA, FBI, NSA, DHS, and all of the secret. Uh, uh, basically, forced them to ha to have uh, public budgetary uh, policies. In other words, end the secret budgeting. Yeah, we can make up a whole list. I think that's a good that's a good idea. Yeah, go on vacation with Vladimir Putin. Oh, that would be a good one. But Cl Bill Clinton's already done that. Oh, so. yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, that's would be unoriginal. Uh, in the meantime, what do we have for um... for isn't that terrible? I have a story. Um, this is one of those stories like it's going to be sometimes I overread. But this one, I really think. Wow, this is a it. coincidence. I have a German thing, too. But anyway, oh, go wow. ahead. 
Um, okay, so let me just full screen it. So remains in German murder case show signs of cannibalism. Berlin prosecutors say suspect in death of 44-year-old man had interest in the subject. German prosecutors say there is evidence of cannibalism in the killing of a 44-year-old man whose remains were found in Berlin this month. A 41-year-old man was arrested at his home on Thursday on suspicion of murder with sexual motives close to the site where the victim's bones were found. So just want to pause here. This is exactly not the kind of necrophilia that is in uh, the public good. Right. You cannot, because you, yeah, you can't kill, the whole point of necrophilia, I mean, from the moral imperative is that it is abuse, it is done to people who are already dead. Once you kill the person, that's not okay. Yeah, if you if you're doing if you're doing it just to have sex with their dead bodies, yeah, that's, that's not, not okay. Enemy. Yeah, let's see. The suspect had an interest in cannibalism. Berlin's prosecutor's office spokesman Martin Steltner said he searched online for the topic. Uh, Steltner said it was unclear whether the victim had also had an interest in cannibalism. The two men, both Germans, had been in touch with each other online via chat forum called Planet Romeo, according to a report in Der Spiegel. On uh, November eighth, a walker had chanced upon the skeletal remains of a human leg on a field on the northern outskirts of Berlin. On the bones, investigators discovered bite marks, so they said it was still unclear if they were human or from an animal. Uh, The remains were those of uh, a 44-year-old high-voltage technician who had gone missing from his shared apartment in Berlin. Nice detail. Uh I know. A search involving specially trained dogs sniff. Oh, specially trained sniffer dogs eventually led police to the apartment of the 41-year-old suspect, a math and chemistry teacher at a secondary school where they discovered knives, a bone cutter saw used by surgeons, and an oversized cooling box. Come on. Everybody has those at I know. Home. Like, we've, yeah, like we're not, like we haven't all been there. Uh, <laughs> the building paper reported that investigators had also discovered a 25 kilogram of, had also discovered 25 kilograms of sodium hydroxide, a reagent that can be used to dissolve bodily tissue. The suspect reportedly claimed he'd wanted to make soap. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. So just again, to pause uh, that, what I like about this story is it kind of, it's like a mix, it, it, it pays homage, if you will, to both Dexter and Breaking Bad. Do you watch those mm-hmm. shows? Mm-hmm. Okay, so remember they they dissolve, they try to dissolve a, a body, but it kind of explodes. Right, yes. And then Dexter obviously uses all these surgical tools. Uh, reports of the arrest have evoked parallels to the infamous case of the Rottenberg cannibal. In 2006, a German court convicted Armin Meus of murder and disturbing the peace for killing a man he'd met <laughs> online and eating him. Meus is serving a life sentence. Unlike the suspect arrested over the Berlin murder, Meus had been quick to talk to the prosecutors and share details of his obsession. In 2015, a German police officer was convicted of murder for killing a man he met in an internet chat forum devoted to cannibalism. Prosecutors said the victim had fantasized about being eaten, but there is no evidence uh, the suspect actually did so. Okay, what I think is interesting about that also is that uh, he was charged with disturbing the peace. Well, that is disturbing the peace. I mean, eating a person. Yeah, well, if you're loud, I guess, if you're, right? Like, if you're a quiet eater, if you eat with your mouth open and you're you're like smacking your lips and stuff. Yeah, then it's disturbing the peace. But I object. I object to that. I think it's covered with the murder thing. I object, Your Honor. You're out of of order. You're You're all out of order. order. I hold you in contempt. Um, Yeah, and uh, also, isn't that weird that, like, 
So and, Germ and German guys like to go online and meet people and either eat or meat. get eaten. Get it? Meat. Meat. Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. M-E-A-T. Um, what, what I also like is shout out to Muse for, for being opening up to prosecutors and sharing details of his obsession. That shows a lot of introspection. And uh, what's up with the uh, police officer doing that? Again, if we this whole necrophilia discussion started when a police officer molested a corpse. So that was opportunistic, though. It wasn't like he went out looking to do well, exactly. it. Exactly. Why do you think I became a spokesperson for, for necrophilia? In I mean, I not the body was just lying there. Yeah, well, that and that was because, you know, this was in the in the height of the George Floyd protests. And it just made me realize that if we're going to have police brutality, it would be nice if it if it has to happen at all. Let it happen to the dead. To people already dead. Already dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, and why would the prosecutor say that the victim had fantasized about being eaten isn't that weird? Yeah, the prosecutor, it, it like seems a, like you're trying to, it's not that you're almost like making a defense case there. I know. Right? Maybe, is he a closeted uh, cannibal? Maybe, maybe cannibal it's a whole ring. It's like a QAnon thing. Yeah. There's, there's a whole, there's a whole secret uh, society of, uh, you know, eaters cannibal and cabal. ETs. Yeah. Like uh, a cannibal. Cannibal, yeah. Right. <laughs> What, is there a civil liberties conflict with showing that he had searched for cannibalism online? Um, or does that go to motive? I think once you get um, arrested for like chewing on a human leg, they can right. go through your stuff. And I, I think at that point, probably the search warrant kicks in. And yeah, I get. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I right? feel like, like if like, they were if they were just generally searching for everybody for who people, searched right. for cannibalism, like there'd be people busting down my door right now. Well, oh, right. I'm sorry. What did I just I mean, say? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? True, not even kidding. Do you know how I found that article, Matt? How? I put cannibal in Google News. Really? Because I was like, I want something terrible. Let's go with cannibals. Let's go with cannibals. Cannibals are, look, there's nothing that's not fun about cannibals. Except, I guess, when it's actually happening. Yeah, when you're, it's actually happening to you. And, and really, they're... Those stories are less Few and far fun between. than you would think to watch when they're like subjects of movies. So I, I should just do weird quickly, right? So uh, Dan, I, I sent separately a, a tweet about a person named Andreas uh, Nauk. So this is just also a German situation. The text here is, says, uh, German police barge into the house of anti-lockdown activist Dr. Andreas uh, Nowak arrest him during YouTube live stream. Es gibt keine Lebensvariante, die nicht existiert. Sondern alles existiert parallel gleichzeitig. Jede Wirklichkeit, so there's like a dude who's giving a live stream and i guess he's some kind of anti-lockdown he's a doctor who apparently treats uh people at anti-lockdown protests and he was in the, giving a live stream does he treat them for covid no i, I don't know i don't know what he treats them for that so this is what this is part of what i'm going to get to yeah. so um the theory is that that he's giving a live stream and i guess he violated some law against uh, speech that gives bad advice about the the pandemic or something like that. And so while he was doing it, 
they sent these goons through the door and it was very like goons or police officers or police officers. I mean, look, it's, it was, it's very 1937, the vibe from, from that video. Right. I mean, just what you want to understand about the story is, wait a minute, are the police now coordinating with like internet platforms and sending teams to kick your door down? If you say something that's, um, anti-lockdown. Yeah. Or like just a, 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 you know, breaking a speech law. Is it that quick? And, and here's the problem. When I went to go look uh, up the details of the story, um, you can't find anything on any reputable news site anywhere. So it's like, you see what I'm saying? It's a story about censorship, but I, I, I want to know what it is just so I can evaluate it. But you can't find anything out, uh, out about it because that seems like that has been suppressed too. In Germany so, also? I mean, it makes sense. It would be in Germany. I, I did see one German story, but obviously I don't, I don't read German. Yeah. But if that's our future, that makes me a little nervous. But maybe maybe something else is going on. Maybe but he ate somebody. Maybe he ate somebody. Or maybe they had been working on this sting for months, right? So maybe it was not a, a, a Twitter or, you know, it was not an online thing. Um, and also, I think, though, honestly, I don't want a victim blame. I'm not sure if he's a victim. I guess I don't want to something is blame. It, I guess he's a victim of a, bar, of a bargain. Well, the vest is a problem. Uh, but also the bigger problem is if he watched the show, he would have known what to do. What do you do in situations like that? You grab a mask and a coffin. And, and a you coffin. jump into the coffin. The Peruvian mayor. You jump oh, into right. the coffin yes. and yes. play and just dead. Play, play dead, right. Yeah. So I blame him in a way. Namen, Namen didn't just say nothing in your name. Right. Or how do you say dead in German? I should know this. Todd. T-O-D. Todd. 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 But then there's Todd. Das Sterben. I like that much more. Das Sterben. Das Sterben. Sterben. Das Sterben. What is Kummerspeck? Grief bacon. <laughs> I like that the people who search for who search for death also search for grief bacon. You think that's why they're searching for in the first place? Because they they, they 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 have too much grief bacon. Ich liebe Trauerbeck. That I love grief bacon. How do you say I hate grief bacon? That should be the name of a podcast. Well, I mean, yeah. Welcome to grief bacon. Der Kummerspeck. Der Kummerspeck. Can you have a annihilation bacon? Vernichtungsspeck. 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 I want that. You see, what they do is they make uh, like they actually put that into one word for people who are only listening to. Well, them. of course, that's even, the yeah, that's yeah. German. Well, look, I think we learned a lot already. We learned so much, and you know what? It makes me really thankful that you're not being eaten thankful that I'm not being eaten and I'm going to think about this when I am eating on uh, Kummerspeck. No, Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Matt, right. I love the way you're re rejecting colonialism by not even remembering uh, or maybe by erasure. It's, it, you're engaging by in getting older. erasure, which is, yeah. we want, that's, that's a good thing to do. It's a great way to push back against Thanksgiving by we're not even going to have someone from a country where they celebrate it on our day. Like 
That's how much we're not celebrating Thanksgiving. Kumerspeck. Kumerspeck. Ryan McMahon is an Ojibwe comedian, writer, and podcaster. In 2018, McMahon's Thunder Bay podcast, produced in partnership with Canada Land, was named to Best of 2018 list by The Globe and Mail, CBC Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Canada, New York Magazine, Vulture Magazine, and The Atlantic. And you can follow him on Twitter at RM Comedy. John Thompson is an award-winning journalist and author based in Thunder Bay. He has been covering Northwestern Ontario for nearly two decades, and you can follow him on Twitter at John S. Thompson. Make sure you check out the second season of Thunder Bay, which they are in the process of releasing, but the first episode is already up. And without further ado, Ryan McMahon and John Thompson. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. So here's a trailer of Thunder Bay. My name is Ryan McMahon. I come from a small Anishinaabe community not far from this city. And to us, Thunder Bay was the big city. Over the past two decades, in this city, nine indigenous teens were found dead. Usually their bodies were found in rivers and marshes. They were all from remote First Nation reserves. Nobody's pushing them in. They just go to the water. It's a natural progression. When people are sick, when moose are sick, when animals are sick, they go to the water. Aha. Um, I don't know how they would die. I'm, I'm guessing by someone. I'm guessing by someone attacking them is my guess. Because um, to my knowledge, you don't just go by the water and just happen to, even if you don't know how to swim, especially if you don't know how to swim, I'm just going to hop in. You don't do that. Thunder Bay, just, I don't have an answer. It seems to just breed hate. There's quite a bit of bad stuff that goes on in this city too, so... You never hear about convictions, and there's always bodies in the river. Agnew Johnson was a Crown attorney. He liked us young girls. This place is a shit show down here. Uh, because Thunder Bay is a fucking murder city. Uh, can you talk about Thunder Bay season one? And then we'll get into season two. But I was trying to, I, I thought you could describe it because I don't, you're probably well-versed in describing in a way that doesn't act as a spoiler alert. I mean, act as a spoiler. Yeah, so to set the table, I suppose, uh, uh, for the first season of the podcast, I um, I was working with Canada Land on a, a Canadian politics podcast. We were just constantly adjacent to things that were happening in Thunder Bay. And, and because that's home, uh, for me, and I, I grew up uh, around Thunder Bay. Um, I knew that what we were doing on this 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 other podcast that I was that I formerly hosted wasn't doing justice to these stories. And I said we have to stop doing these little drive-by hits on mm. really complex and nuanced stories. And so I just pitched and made a compelling argument to to take a deeper dive into this stuff. And it it came at a time where um, there was a bit of a perfect storm where there there were um, really extreme um, uh, things happening in the city with these these characters who had these these charges pending against them and and the, the corruption that was emerging from from these charges and the, the, the way all of these stories seem to intertwine um, with with the backdrop of of the inquiry into um, uh, these these dead native kids and so um, it, it, the the timing of it in particular was was I would call uh, I suppose lightning in a bottle and um, 
we we hit the ground running at the, at a time where the conversation was 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 live in the city and I think needed uh, outside of the city. It's interesting that you're a comedian and you wound up exposing this story um, with the help of journalists. Um, but do you think that that speaks to something in, uh, I mean, kind of a lack of exposure that it took someone like you to really um, put it front and center? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I will say that, you know, Canada Land is, is a journalism company. It's a media company. And, and given the, given my, my own sort of uh, time in the podcasting space, um, you know, it was a bit of a, a, a happy marriage uh, for, for, for the both of us. And, and yeah, I mean, the fact that I'm a comic um, and that I have the freedom to do work like this and that I think we as comics, you know, we're, we're often in the middle of digging deeper into truth and trying to shine lights on, on things that people don't like to talk about. So, so for me, it made good sense. And, and, and you're right, you've indicated like the partnership with, with journalists and, and uh, people behind the scenes that, that certainly prop up this work far more than my comedic writing chops. Um, I mean, it, it is a, it is a good partnership and, and that partnership now extends to the second season with John and, and uh, you know, 20 years of his experience as a journalist. But, but recognize that like Ryan sees this or, or saw that first season in a way that nobody else did. But at the time we had like the mayor was under arrest. The police chief was under arrest. There were inexplicably like, like children dying in local rivers in ways that no one could understand. And there were all kinds of inquiries into this. There was all kinds of fog around it. And so the media was just raining down on Thunder Bay. Um, and Canada land uh, in that environment says, we're going to go there and we're going to get the real story. And everybody in Thunder Bay is like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Wait, right? so, so, so for Americans who don't follow, who aren't in tune with the story, what, what, what is the, what's the precipitating event to leading people to realize that there was some kind of thing connecting all these incidents? Like what was the first big story to come out of all this? Well, it started in, in the, the way we tell the Thunder Bay story now started in 2000. Uh, it goes obviously all the way back to, to contact, but, um, but there were these, there's this area about the size of France in Northern Ontario, where first nations kids don't have high schools in their community. The government just doesn't build them there. This is like 800 kilometers, uh, in, in, in a Northern fan from Thunder Bay. Um, and so they have to come into the city. And so so inexplicably over the next 11 years, uh, seven of these kids uh, pass away. And in many cases, in ways that were not really easy to understand how it happened, there was an inquest into those deaths. And, um, and many of those cases remained inconclusive. And so while, and then, then there started being these investigations into what they were calling systemic racism in our police service and the board that was overseeing it. And this was a brand new concept in Canada, really. Systemic racism wasn't, wasn't super discussed. And then there were more deaths in the rivers of young people who are here for services. And it just, it just all exploded at once while uh, the leaders of this community kind of entangled themselves in all of this, this like ridiculous legal circus. Yeah. And for, for your listeners that may not be familiar with Canada, like they think of like maple syrup yeah. Mounties with these goofy red jackets and like uh, a bunch of, 
toothless hockey players and all of those things are up here i can assure you um but uh, you know the 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 real conversation for me that that or, or a way that people can understand this conversation is if you've watched the wire it's that with a little bit more polite uh uh <laughs> explicit uh, language uh, mixed with real life. And the consequences here um, are, are, are just, it's, it's tough to communicate how this plays out for real life with indigenous people that come to this city. And, um, and yeah, we're linking, you know, the historical inequities, we're linking the failure of, of, of capitalism, we're linking the failure of, of industry in small towns, you can point to like Flint, Michigan, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you can look at cities in America where the middle class starts to melt um, when industry leaves. And it, and it leaves, a, it leaves a despair that really Really, you can't understand unless you're there. And and the Thunder Bay story is in part um, uh, similar to, to to small towns and cities across America in that way. And and again, I, I can't put it any other way other than it's a bit of a perfect storm and one that that we're definitely trying to uh, try trying to ride out and, and figure out what to do next. But the big thing, the big difference between The Wire and Thunder Bay is that in The Wire, the leaders understand what's going on and believe it. <laughs> right. And, and in Thunder Bay, there's been this, this state of denial in all of the halls of power uh, and out in the streets. You can go out in the streets and ask people what's going on. And you might ask 10 people and get 11 different answers. Um, like there's just no, people just, how, no matter how much evidence builds up, no matter how bad it gets, it, this city cannot be brought to understand what is happening here. There are people who claim that uh, that police have driven them on cold nights uh, out of town or to parts of town where people don't live. Um, it, you know, for decades there were uh, there were people going missing, uh, people dying uh, inexplicably, um, and there were records of of police brutality or at least indigenous people being treated poorly by the police, and that goes back to like 1993. And, and there's this all no culminates in the this all culminates into the two reports into the Thunder Bay Police Service. So, um, to, to you know, we don't want to take you into the weeds um, on this stuff, but there are two seminal reports that drop just just a month after we wrap in 2018 on the first season that basically you know supports our thesis and vindicates Indigenous people writ large about their experience with cops, and that is the OCPC report. Uh, which which ultimately um, you know names the the police board in Thunder Bay um, incapable of of running the board and incompetent and the OIPRD report which 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 names um, the Thunder Bay police systemically um, and overtly racist and talks about the way that um, investigations were done poorly because these deceased uh, people were indigenous that that the systemic uh, biases and and discrimination that uh, that uh, uh, was was present inside of the police force ensured that these investigations uh, were botched from the start and and uh, because of those reports uh, nine investigations into undetermined deaths of indigenous people have been reopened so you know since since 2018 since we finished the first season this story has continued to evolve and change and 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 really show that 
um, the necessity of going there and doing the first season and continuing the conversation through season two is uh, could not be more clear. And so if there's a difference between a big difference between seasons one and two, it's that season one of Canada Land Thunder Bay uh, sort of showed that the leaders of this community uh, weren't just complacent in the deaths of indigenous children here. They were complicit and it was eerie. The second season takes takes the listeners beyond that, beyond these personalities to a place where it's it's not the people. It's not. It's the systems. And the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, it's it, the the characters uh, uh, in season one are it's it's like they're they're made up. You would think there's it's like if you read it in a script, you'd think it was like um, over the top or too on the nose, like the corruption and um, abuse of these politicians and the way that they just exploit um, young um, indigenous women in particular is kind of stunning. And you happen to have audio of a lot of. Uh, of this as we were building season one you know we look around and, and and the evidence starts mounting and we we hear these stories we hear things like we'd rather not call the police because it makes things worse or we'd rather not go to the hospital because we don't get treated well there you know um i think of all these stories that that we started to gather in the first season and it was like holy shit is anyone listening to this like or is anyone listening to indigenous people and so for me you know pointing back to you know pointing back to uh, uh an, an earlier point um that katie made about a comedian making a podcast with some journalists like that that for me as as an indigenous person was like well first and foremost like who's who's told this story from an indigenous lens and there certainly are indigenous journalists in the city um um that have uh through time um and and i just felt compelled as an indigenous person um to just continue to to amplify that work and 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 push that push that story back to the top of people's consciousness because yeah indigenous women and indigenous youth and i would say queer indigenous people in the city writ large face the consequences of all of this more so than than anyone else so that that call to action for me was very clear and maybe it needed that because i mean you can only imagine you describe the size of the personalities and the the cartoonishness nature of it um if 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 we're trying to report on this stuff locally it's like trying to have a serious conversation while there's a food fight going on 360 degrees around you right like if we reported on the circus as much yeah. as it deserves it we'd never get to the point where like 9000 homes in our town have lead in the tap water right yeah, I mean, it's 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 as an American citizen, it's really heartwarming to see how uh, how we don't uh, we're not quite we're trailblazers in many ways when it comes to racism, but we're also accompanied by other great nations like Canada. Uh, and yeah. you guys have this reputation, like you were saying, of maple syrup and Mounties, and there really is stuff there that I don't think people know about. This is like a fixation of Katie's that she just wants Canada to have a rep as bad as ours. <laughs> yeah, it's I it's, it's, it's be, a yeah. running theme on, on our show that yeah. um, it's not that I think it's wrong. I just think it's just really weird. Your country's racism and our country's racism is in good company because yeah. indigenous people writ large across uh, across the world face the brunt of failed imperial imperialistic uh, experiments that uh, that we're watching melt in front of our very eyes with COVID and everything else. So um, we and we are we are trying to lead the conversation in a way to say like, hey, yeah, this podcast is about Thunder Bay and 
but we, we like we have a folder full of emails from people saying like, oh, you think Thunder Bay's bad? Come over here. Or you think you think you could do that to Thunder Bay? Come to my city, and right. and we've we've logged all that email, and we're looking at it, going like, oh shit, this so this could be our career, like this could be the rest of our lives, and and you know, and I, I dare I say that um, many of the conditions and things that are happening uh, up here in Canada are are happening in America. It just so happens that your population's too big for anyone to know what's happening in, in Indian country down in the U S. So, you know, these are, these are real live issues like up here in Canada, we just completed a, a, a national inquiry into missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, a conversation that has been happening in Canada for decades um, that is now finding its way to America. And we find young indigenous women and young leaders in America having that same conversation about the violence indigenous women face in places like the Balkan oil fields and, and other uh, man camps where fracking's taking place, et cetera. And so th these conversations are starting to, to cross that imaginary line we call the border uh, between Canada and the United States. And, and it's, it's a fat, I think 30 or 40 years from now, they're going to write books about this time. And, and they're going to look back and say, this is when the indigenous story really hit the consciousness in, in North America. And you can point to things like Standing Rock and I don't know more up here in Canada that, that call people to raise the consciousness. And let's face it, when you have Mark Ruffalo, the incredible Hulk himself, uh, chipping in and going down to Standing Rock, that can't hurt the cause at all. Yeah. But you're right. You're, you're right to hit on Canada in a little bit. I mean, the, the, the most defining thing about the political culture of this country is that we're not those guys to the south of the border. Um, and if you define yourself by what other people are that you aren't, um, <laughs> then for, that's at least suspect. And at worst, like you're never going to be able right. to be free. Um, and so when Ryan talks about the, 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 the mountains of letters from people being like, come do us next, like we're just as bad. It, the leadership in Thunder Bay's response to all this has constantly been, well, this happens everywhere. This is all across Canada. This is all around the world, in fact, systemic racism and these types of problems. Well, sure, but like that doesn't let anybody off the hook for the place they live and the job they have to fix it. It kind of reminds me of like the Trump phenomenon, where as long as you're not as bad as Trump, everything's okay. So it's like if you don't have all the terrible stuff happening in the United States, then you're golden. We and if you, and if you don't have all shot. the terrible stuff that's happening in Thunder Bay... You're golden. Like Thunder Bay has right, just become right. like the Florida man of Canada. Yeah. But I guess that's my point is that, um, you know, so many things in general that are like more over the top in affect or in detail are do represent something more systemic. And I think one of the great things about this podcast is that it does, you know, you have that insane mayor. The mayor was Keith Hobbs. Can you tell people about Keith Hobbs? Uh and why we're so privy to his uh, discussions? Well, um, okay. So Keith Hobbs is the f is a former mayor um, in Thunder Bay. Before he was mayor, he was a, a police officer um, who, by all accounts and from stories that we have and 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 tape we've gathered, was was not a great guy. Well, in the force, he's apologized publicly for his expressed racism. There were inquiries into the police force uh, through time uh, when he served uh, in the Thunder Bay Police that that has his name all over it. There have been uh, fallouts and and things that have happened um, in the police force that he was attached to, um, and he 
you know, he comes out of his time as a, as a cop and, and, and is a known public figure in Thunder Bay. And as it goes in small town anywhere, you know, these are the people that end up uh, becoming the CEOs of the Economic Development Corporation. And these are the, 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 the ones that rally the landowners to uh, make sure that the stop signs are put in properly. I mean, these people run, they, they run the behind the scenes of, our, of, the, of the socialite sort of uh, class of, of these cities. And, and he becomes the mayor and does what he does. And, and um, you know, he's kind of t- uh, no-nonsense big guy. How, how tall is he, John? 6'4", six, 6'5", six, like he's a massive tall guy. Yeah, he's taller than you are. Yeah, and he's like, and he, he just uh, he kind of takes no prisoners, man. Like he's, he's just here to fight for the town. And, and you know, and... And look, I think I think um, the 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 one place I have empathy or compassion for the city is that the city inherits a whole bunch of problems, and the challenges of this entire population needing to necessarily move into the city to uh, go to doctor's appointments, to to shop, to uh, to live, to work, to go to school. I mean, it's a it's a very unique challenge to that city, um, and it's not unique to Canada. There are other cities that certainly have uh, a population. Um, um, that that moves in and out of the city as 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 a hub city, but that does create a set of circumstances and and an environment that is challenging. And so, you know, if you're the mayor of this town and you're a former cop, and and I don't believe you have a strong understanding of economics or city planning or these types of things. Your leadership and the quality of leadership may be in question. I think what we watched happen again is the melting of all of these things as they intersect in real time. Yeah. And then there's the lawyer who has, um, Oh God. Yeah. Uh, Sandy, um, Zaitsev. Zaitsev. I forgot to add in that, that amazing video of him. It's like a <laughs> monologue where he's basically ranting and he has a bunch of clown dolls in the background. So Sandy Zaitsev would buy a new clown figurine and add it to his collection every time he was victorious in court. And it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a dark chapter. These are, these are some of the characters that, that uh, are a part of a very de- dark chapter in the city. So the reason, just to, to, to fill people in, um, I'm reading from the, uh, the Star, the Toronto Star, um, it's a six-minute rant. He pulls off his T-shirt, parades his bruised torso, alleges an unnamed assailants tried to steal his fortune, expresses anguish over his dead son, then gets on his knees to propose marriage. The video is part of the dramatic and public fall of the class action litigator who built a reputation as a confident winner, the man who took on the RCMP. Um, this rambling cryptic monologue recorded by an acquaintance at one of the lawyer's many houses and then posted to YouTube has been viewed more than 40,000 times and has fueled gossip uh, as locals wonder how it might explain what immediately followed a breakneck series of criminal and civil allegations that not only saw Zaitsev arrested on sexual assault charges, but also is drawn in the mayor and police chief. So it's like, again, it's, it's almost like too over the top. Uh, yeah. Like if you were in on a video, how does that happen? Yeah. Thank if, God, if, but, if you were in a writer's room and you were show running and you sent yeah. your writers away to, to, to give you pages for the next day and someone walked in with this, you might fire that writer. You might think like, I don't know what you were up to last night, but this doesn't fly. Yeah. This, this is not, it's TV. Yes. 
Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's an extreme set of, of, uh, it's a, it's an extreme, how am I going to say this? It's, it, it's, it's a set of extremes that are rare, but are real, um, in the city. And it's important to say that like almost none of that stuck. Sandy Zaitsev was was convicted of a, a, a sexual charge, um, but uh, Keith Hobbs and his wife Marissa got off on their charges. They were deemed not guilty. And the chief of police calls the Hobbses to tell them the cops are looking into them. Um, and he gets up on the stand and he uh, he says, well, obviously... I knew I didn't think that what I was doing was wrong because I told the cops when they called that I told the mayor that the cops were looking into him and he parades people up one after another to tell them that like, yeah, he told me that he did that. And his argument is how could I have done all that and told all those people if I thought it was wrong. And that was a compelling argument and he was deemed not guilty. So at the end of all this circus, um, you know, we can't conclusively say from a journalistic perspective beyond the, the one charge of Zaitsev that anybody did anything wrong. Yeah, because they were so open about it. Has this changed your role, like your public role and your public persona? Um, you every I mean, there's there's little funny lines that are like dark, funny kind of sardonic lines during the podcast. But in general, you're serious. Um, did you think you would be applying more of a comedic tone? Um, or I guess it kind of goes with the territory to not do that, given the the content. Yeah, I mean the 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 tone of the the tone of the podcast itself certainly doesn't live in funny ha ha land. Um, the writers' room and the way we cope uh, with the things that we need to write and say is a light, good, and positive place. I'm really grateful for the team uh, that we have. That when we come together, we find ways to keep each other up because it is dark um but no i i didn't i i didn't know what was gonna happen actually and i and i wasn't sure that but i what i knew was um as we started to dig into the story that uh it was much darker and more stark than i had realized and um and and i felt the responsibility um, and the privilege of of holding these stories and telling these stories right from the jump. And I just think of of the young people that, you know, couldn't wait to get their stories on the record. They just wanted to be heard so badly. Um, th those are the those are the stories that really keep me motivated to stay in the space. Because yeah, I'm a I'm a stand up comic. I'm going to Just for Laughs in a couple of weeks to tape galas. Like I, I I'm I'm still a comic. Um, but I, I, this work is so important to me um, because, again, I think at the end of the day, you know, John and I, we keep reminding ourselves as hard as this is, this is, this is about Indigenous youth dying. And, and yes, people are upset in the city. Yes, um, I've lost friends. John will certainly um, have to mend relationships and, and all of that inside of the city he lives in. Um, but this is about this is about indigenous youth dying in that city. And so, you know, it's not work that I could, I could walk away from because I want to return to stand up comedy. It's just a new thing that I'm, I'm learning, uh, learning to do publicly and trying my best on. And my commitment again is back to the indigenous community that um, I'm trying to fight for. If that's not too hokey of an answer. Yeah. When there, and there are times when you're doing journalism where you just kind of want to cry out and say something conclusive and bang your fist on the table. And 
I don't. We don't. We can't. That's not our that's not our job. That's not our position. But to be able to have somebody who's also doing social commentary alongside of journalism um, so we can kind of sift in and out of that space where we're doing like serious, serious journalism, but also seriously. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Um, and, and I think I think uh, I think that's something that people really latched onto with this. So can you tell listeners and viewers about some of the actual like crimes and offenses that were documented in the podcast? Um, because some of them are related to, you know, uh, Hobbs and Sandy. And then you also kind of just track these different hate crimes that happen to people um, that aren't necessarily the people who wind up in the water. Yeah. Just so people have a sense of, of kind of the content and what it's documented. Well, I think one of the one of the stories that uh that we should share and probably focus most on is one that is unfolding uh as we're releasing the podcast series and that is the the death and 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 murder of of Barbara Kentner, a, an indigenous woman who leaves um uh to go to the store with her sister and while walking down the street a young man by the name of Braden Bushby hangs out of a window and throws a trailer hitch out of the window, striking Barbara Kantner, and she and and she succumbs to her injuries. Uh, you know, some six months later, and hits her in the stomach. Right. That's right. That's right. And and there's a long history uh, and a documented history of people throwing things out of vehicles at Indigenous people in the city, and um, and 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 to the point where you know, reporting these, these, these crimes, um, becomes a, a, a priority inside of the city. And they send, a, they set up a mechanism by which you can call, you can report the hate crimes through a, 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 a reporting service in the city, um, which sets up a whole conversation about, about the history of, of these types of events in the city. We have grandparents that say oh yeah i mean this this happened to me when i was a kid and they're in their 60s 70s and 80s um telling these stories of of, of times where this has happened so um you know Braden bushby is up on on these charges now by by the time we finish our uh, this second season we'll we'll know um what that verdict will be and it's uh it's it's a dark chapter in the in the city of, of of Thunder Bay. But again, like it's it's hard to keep the eye on the ball because they set up this racism reporting hotline, and thirty percent of the calls that they get to it are from white people complaining that pe- that people are racist against them. And yeah. and uh, many of those were that there was systemic racism in the institutions of the city against white people. And so, like, it's really hard to keep focused because um, every element you add to the story has some crazy side story to it um, that just that that doesn't make the rest of the house of cards hold up. And what else uh, can people expect from season two? And are you is this the type of thing that you're like currently investigating it as uh, we speak or is it all been investigated and now you're just recording? Well, I mean, we're um, we're we're in the madness of writing now. We're we're constantly reporting and gathering. I mean, um, to kind of be the Wizard of Oz and 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 let everyone peek behind the curtain a little bit. We we finished uh, episode one uh, and we had a draft and we felt pretty good. We were given high fives and back slaps and we were going out for a celebratory drink. And a story comes our way. An event happens in the city that makes us completely tear down 
episode one and and we go back to the drawing board and rework everything and then uh we record it and we release it and we start on episode two and we're writing and we're we're high-fiving and back slapping and we're feeling pretty good and another story comes our way and so you know, we've done this many times in the room where we said, no more stories, no more tips, no more leaks. We're done. We can't keep doing this. And we, we've been up uh, the last four days until all hours of the night um, getting this second episode ready. So we're still listening. Uh, we're, we're, we're still gathering. Um, but, uh, you know, we're doing so with the sense of where we're going. But there's two big stories. And this, and, and this really, I mean, Americans might think this is quaint because the faith in, in the institutions in the U.S. has been plummeting for a long, long time to the point that your public conversation is barely decipherable to somebody from looking at it from outside. Um, but, but for us, uh, the notion that we're losing faith in the systems that govern us and as those systems are being identified as systemically racist... I mean, now that conversation is happening all over the world. Minneapolis is the closest major center to Thunder Bay, even though it's on the, the American side. And, you know, that's where George Floyd was killed. That's where uh, that's where Black Lives Matter had this major resurgence to become the, what it will be remembered as in the history books. And people marched here, thousands strong. But also at that march, there were there were cars going by screaming like race treason as they were doing it. And I mean, like, how do we balance all these things? How do we, how do we try to have a, a focused conversation when people don't believe what's happening around them anymore? I mean, this is something that, that you guys are dealing with in a major way right now. And it's something that I hope we can warn Canada about that we're on that, we're on that, that path. And Ryan, I know that you went to the University of Minnesota where not to be too on the new nose, but you had a full scholarship for guess what sport, Matt? Hockey, I'm going to guess. Yeah, full hockey scholarship. Um, how did your experience in the United States uh, compare to your experience in Canada? Um, I was born on the border of Minnesota and Ontario. Half my family uh, is in Minnesota. Um, you know, my grandmother lived in Minnesota. So, I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about Northern Minnesota and Northwestern Ontario, these are the same, we are the same people. We cut down trees, we uh, sit around campfires and we drink cold beer. Um, we live similar lives. It's politically, I think, um, uh, very similar. Um, and it, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a far storm, stone's throw across the river to, to see your relatives on the other side of the, the river. So I think it's very similar. And again, I think what America misunderstands about Canada is just how similar we are. I mean, we have, we have a, a better uh, healthcare system in many yeah. ways than you. Um, but really, I mean, we, we, we are pretty, uh, pretty similar in, in most ways. Um, and, and I would say like the, the benefit for me of, of kind of living, living and growing up on both sides of the border is, is just, again, understanding the indigenous perspectives from two completely different systemically, um, systemically polar uh, uh, realities where America and their treatment of indigenous people, very different than up, up here in Canada. Um, and, um, and the way people live their lives in uh, as indigenous people in in both of these countries are are, are very different in, in a lot of ways as well so so I think I think yeah the having that perspective is is beneficial for me in in the in this work 
what are the some of the differences? Yeah, well, just I mean, just you know, you had Indian wars in America, and there 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 weren't wars up here. We we signed treaties up here and did did things mostly peacefully, and and but there is a passive. Uh, genocide uh, that has happened here in in Canada. That's just kind of like the long, slow burn. Yeah. You know, you know, you're being fucked, but you're not sure by who or how. In America, it was a clean break. It was like you lost the war. Here's your little bit of land. Don't move. Um, and and they've essentially created um, uh, re- the reserve system as municipalities in America. Up here, the way our land uh, is reserved and everything else, and politically how we interact with government very, very different. So th- those would be sort of the, the easiest ways to, to say they're different. Um, um, I think culturally, we're very similar. The things we do to pass time, the foods we eat, the way we celebrate and dance and, and powwow and gather and pray and everything else, very similar. But the, but the political and economic reality, I think, is very different. How do, you, how do, how do Canadians do Thanksgiving? And how do different Canadians do it? <laughs> And uh, how do you guys see Thanksgiving from over there, uh, the American Thanksgiving? Well, I, I call it thanks taking yeah. um, or thanks for nothing day. Um, but, you know, the Canadian Thanksgiving uh, up here is a celebration of the harvest. And historically, like it's purely a celebration of the fields being plentiful and, and having time set aside for your family. Uh, and this idea of celebrating pilgrims and settlers and everything else that happened in the United States, not necessarily the same up here, though people do confuse the two. Um, Yours is in October, right? Ours is in October. Yours is in November. I mean, I I will say, again, they're going to write books about this time 30 or 40 years from now. The conversation has finally uh, cleared the air around how we feel about Columbus. So, I mean, the chains chains are moving. The the, the markers are moving forward as it relates to the, 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 the historical and contemporary conversation around Native people in America. But uh, Thanksgiving is one that stings. It's it. I'm not gonna lie. It's it's one of those ones. Is like, oh, you guys, take it easy. Take it easy on the celebration. You can have your football. Uh, you can have your NASCAR races on the day. You can do all the things that you like. Just tuck in the celebration a little bit. Just, just scale it back. We're still here. Yeah, I was I was tempted to um, have on an Italian American guest. You know, oh, that would be brilliant. Get both sides. Yeah, dig deep. Dig, dig deep, deep into yeah. both sides. Yeah. yeah. Not all Italian-Americans, of course, just the ones who are very upset about... Uh, just the ones related to Columbus. Yeah, That was exactly, my uncle. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. 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 And any anything else that you want to um, make sure that we cover, uh, either that you want to make sure people know about the show or about the politics of Canada? And I mean, you guys, it's funny. So what you just said about like the, the overt war in the United States versus the treaties in Canada, uh, you also have um, Trudeau, right, versus versus Trump and then Biden. But what 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 is uh, how has the truth and reconciliation um worked and how has Trudeau been? 
Uh, oh boy. Let, let me let me start on 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 this before you get to Trudeau. The uh, when when he talks when Ryan talks about uh, treaties, those are those are agreements between like a number of different First Nations communities with the Crown, the Queen of England, uh, who's now like still represented above the Canadian state. And so for me as a as a non-Indigenous journalist covering uh, the, that government's interactions with First Nations, we have blueprints, we have agreements. We we have history that we can look at. Um, it's just that the governments of, of my ancestors never intended to live up to any of that and then didn't. And so we actually have papers that we can point to and the system has uh, growing evidence uh, to support the fact that it, it never did that. It needs to do that. It's disadvantaging people to, in a certain way. Um, and that consciousness is growing. And that's something that we can journalistically honestly do in terms of keeping our government accountable. As far as Trudeau goes, um, it's it's a liberal brand of the same thing, and and Ryan does a number on it. <laughs> well, I I mean, I, yeah, I I would say where 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 what John just said about journalism sort of doing this new job of having this conversation about the social and political responsibility question in this country, it, it that conversation does benefit from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Canada and 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 there were calls to action 94 calls to action that were directed at Canada writ large but specific calls to action for journalism and media in Canada to create uh, the environment and support the environment by which nuanced and complex stories can be told about about with and for people to understand indigenous people better and you know, I, I think that we are getting better, that, that in a lot of ways things have improved and will continue to improve. Um, but ensuring Indigenous people are in the room is is step one. And so Indigenous editors and, and publishers and, and folks that, that that know what nuance and complexity looks like is is fundamental. As far as Trudeau goes, I mean, we might as well call him at this point true don't. Um, because it's just, yeah, it's not worked out. He's got great socks, great hair. He's a handsome dude. I know that's what America likes about him. Uh, all right. Um, but he's also the son of a former prime minister who in 1969 wrote a thing literally called the white paper. And it was meant to be the final solution to uh, assimilating indigenous people into the body politic. And in 69, the white paper is basically the advanced assimilation policy uh, of indigenous people written by uh, Justin Trudeau's dad, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Now, you just imagine, you know, young Justin under the table as his dad is is thinking about the the final assimilation policies that, that he could muster and dream up. And and Justin's under the table going, Oh, that sounds good, Daddy. And um and the white paper ultimately fails. Uh, 1970, Harold Cardinal, a really incredible Cree uh, political thinker and philosopher, writes the red paper in response. And today in 2020. 50 years later, we're still seeing parts of the white paper being uh, presented to Indigenous people as solutions by Justin Trudeau's liberal government. And so they wear different color underwear sometimes. Uh, some are nice, some are not nice. But the, the assimilation policy and, and sort of the long-term vision of this country is still squarely in the space of uh, we need to get on with the program, so it's time for you all to sign on the dotted line. And 
these are these are the conversations that are the backdrop to all of this. And to harken back to the thing that we started with, uh, Native kids needing to leave their First Nations um, to go into cities to go to school. This is part of this is one of the broken promises under treaty where when Canada and Indigenous people decide to create this thing called Canada, um, they said, well, we will create schools for your children. And many of these communities are still waiting for these promises. So to, to take sort of a historical failing and to land it today in a contemporary sense, this is the result of, of as I say, like a, a failed experiment. So to be continued uh, on, on that front with, with, with any government. I mean, again, they wear different color underwear, but the, the policies are right. much the same. In the case of Trudeau, they wear different color face paint i guess um oh arabian good. night you're arabian really Nights. going there you're doing yeah, are we doing I this had to, i had to are yeah. we doing we're doing yeah. this are we yeah. okay and, and and you could call maybe he has the pink papers right as opposed <laughs> to the red papers this is why i listen to you too i mean this is why i watch your podcast and everything else because you do go there yeah uh i'll, I'll follow you in the yeah. war what are we doing yeah. yes yeah blackface like uh and I, brown and, face, and still right? one brown face brown face he doesn't arabian. know how many times he and doesn't still know how many one. times though oh, I forgot and that still one who does though i mean who does yeah <laughs> who can it's count to keep tra- you lose track come on <laughs> he's only human uh, like the rest count? of us who could count I'm not sure. Yeah. What was that thing where the woman was asking him a question and said something about mankind? And he's like, human, humankind. Oh, well, he, but he went full male feminist. He went, we are going to decolonize the Canadian government. Yeah. Um, Like he, he, and I didn't even know what he meant. Every time he said, I'm going to decolonize the government, I got a hard on. I was just like, I don't know why I have a boner, but this feels right. Like we're decolonizing the Canadian government. We are. Yeah. I'm in. What are we then, doing? But then followed by sh- perhaps by shrinkage. Well, but yeah, severe. When, um, yeah. Let's not talk about so my penis that, anymore. Yeah, yeah. But you started. Yeah. You opened that Pandora's. Let's box. Clo- let's close yeah, that let's box. Close that box. Yeah. We also have a really compelling story in this season, which may or not may or may not run. We're not sure of a young person who sat on Trudeau's first ever um, federal youth council, who was indigenous, who has a disagreement about the priorities of his government. Um, There is a a, a suicide epidemic in First Nations communities uh, across Canada, and it's one that has been well-documented for decades. We know that that poverty and and all of the isms create environments by which young Indigenous people take their lives at, at disproportionate rates and a young indigenous woman gets to the gets to the federal youth council with dreams hopes and aspirations of being canada's first indigenous prime minister only to get to the table and argue about the priorities and trudeau makes her cry and says your priorities are are not the priorities of the country Right. Young indigenous people don't want a national suicide prevention plan. They want clean drinking water. And, you know, but they also haven't met their promises on that either. Right. Right. They've not. Again, that's so one. I mean, it warms the heart to connect that with like (laughs) with Flint, Michigan. It's just labels are for jars. 
Katie, right. I was unclear in your request for us to be on this podcast that you were just going to do so to gloat about how bad Canada is. I know. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just, it's not, yeah, I just want to, it sounds like I'm an, a, a jingoist or something trying to exonerate uh, the U.S. It's not that. It's just like, we're kind of famous for that. Well, so. and, well, and nobody's going to be fooled by that around the world. Yeah. Like, don't worry that people are going to think that that you're right about that. That's, yeah. Like, like, you can take all the shots you want. We're still oh, going to walk out of here with the high ground. Yeah, you will. Yeah, with relatively clean hands. It's true. Yeah. We're, we're going to apologize to you for wasting your time here today. Yeah. For not giving us the PR, yeah, the, sorry, the sorry. hook that we wanted. Yeah. Well, right. thank you guys so much. This has been great. That People should definitely listen to this podcast. Follow both of your, uh, the work that you both do, um, both as individuals and together uh, for on Thunder Bay. And um, anything else you want, just any plugs that you want to make sure you get out there? Uh, Thunder Bay, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I think I think one point, if I, if I could, that we, we've not touched on, but I think is compelling and interesting is that uh, I'm Indigenous and John's non-Indigenous. And, and we're kind of, we're, this experiment in, in journalism and, and in this series is, has been fascinating for me and refreshing for me. And to have to have these voices with these lived experiences and, and different ideas about how to tackle the questions and the problems, I think is valuable. And, and we often silo ourselves and funnel ourselves into conversations that, that don't leave space. Uh, for us to be right or wrong, or to to hear perspectives we're not uh, we've not considered before, and I think for me, definitely on my in my own uh, voice, my own perspective here, it's been a, a valuable uh, experience for me. And we're trying to walk this talk. I mean, we're going to have to figure out how to live together. That's the ultimate, like that's the ultimate destiny of this land that we're from. And so, even like the the our relationship is then mirrored in the art uh, for this uh, for this podcast uh, by an artist named Mad Dog Jones. I've known his older brother since kindergarten, um, and he he gets uh, Blake Anjikaneb, uh First Nation artist, to work with him on this. The same week we dropped the trailer for Th- Return to Thunder Bay, Mad Dog Jones puts something out with run the jewels like the best album of 2020 and so we're we're like it just totally it it feels like (laughs) i'm the other guy in this operation right Right. that's that's me in this operation how dare Um, you both but uh but like it just it feels like it's so serendipitous um that we're just we're like doing the experiment as we go there is no playbook for this there are no best practices we know thunder bay is doing poorly um Let's do better. The city, not the podcast. <laughs> the podcast is doing well. But yeah. the, the podcast is only doing well because the city's doing poorly. Yeah, thank God <laughs> right. for small favors, yeah. Well, yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you. We appreciate thank you both. Thanks for coming up. Great podcast. Uh, and the, he's really funny, as you can tell. I mean, even talking about stuff as serious as this. And um, I think we did a great job of undermining Thanksgiving by having on guests who are from... This- Canada, mm-hmm. um, who don't even celebrate Thanksgiving this week. So that was right. my way of sticking it to colonialism. Yes, and yeah, I think that was a, uh, an admirable goal. And look, you can't have anybody just going into a holiday and just like experiencing it. No, yeah. hold on. I just got to do. This is going to be the last thing we say. Urla vencii alle Indiana toten. That's. Well, I think we should. Wait, that, that, on yeah. that note, let's all go out and uh, and go have a big hunk of Komerspeck, and um, we'll yeah. uh, 
rate and review and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Rate and review, subscribe on YouTube and um, whatever you do, don't listen to Pod Save America. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.